Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my chickens. You may know, you may not know, that relationship anxiety is a topic that is extremely (laughs) close to my heart, (laughs) as it is something that I have or did deal with and still occasionally deal with for years, decades of my life. It was really an all-consuming part of my mental world for a very long time. And over the years of using coaching to move my attachment patterns from disorganized attachment and anxious disorganized attachment into secure attachment and using thought work really on my relationship with myself and my beliefs about myself, I've really like radically transformed this area of my life to the point that I experience very little relationship anxiety now. And that is, Lord, possibly one of the biggest successes <laughs> thought work has ever had because if there was a zero to a hundred scale of relationship anxiety, I was probably at a hundred. I mean, I had an entire long-term relationships that I was pretty much anxious about the entire time for years. So it's truly amazing to live on the other side of that. So I want to share that work with you. And so I have created something called the Relationship Anxiety Solution. So this is a free webinar that I've taught. Some of you may have attended it live before, but we have an amazing recording of the training that you can get for totally free, <laughs> for zero dollars, zero currency at all. All you need to do is text your email address to plus one three four seven nine nine seven one seven eight four. And when you get a text back asking for the code word, you just use the word solution. So text your email to plus one three four seven nine nine seven one seven eight four and use the code word solution. Or you can just go to unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash solution. So first of all, check that out. Second of all, listen to this episode (laughs) because in this episode, I am having an amazing conversation with my friend Clara Persis, who is, oh my God, now I just got anxiety that I said her name wrong. (laughs) I think I did it right. (laughs) If I did it wrong, please text me, Clara, who is an awesome relationship coach, really a dating coach, I would say. And uh, by the way, even if you don't date at all, you might have decided to be single forever. You might be married for 20 years and never going to date again. You don't think you should still listen to this episode. Because for the same reason that I became friends with Clara, which is that her work is so much about your relationship to yourself and the ways in which you basically like heart block yourself that make dating harder, but then when you think that it's all about the other people. You think it's that like you can't find the right person or all the people out there are terrible or people are so flaky or there's something wrong with you. But in fact, it is so often our own inability to accept and receive love and be vulnerable. We may think that we can, but we can't. Often we can only accept or receive something like inconsistent affection or kind of disproportionate, actually kind of irrational, unhealthy obsession. (laughs) That's what we think love is, right? Her work is so focused on that relationship with yourself. But we actually became friends because I 
friends talked her on the internet after seeing her work. It was actually, I was already working with my own coaches on dating and had made a lot of progress. And so it wasn't that I wanted her to be my coach, but there's just so much terrible dating coaching out there that's like about how to magnetize your man. And it is always like magnetize your man. Very heteronormative. It's so heteronormative. It's often about like being in a feminine receptive energy. And it's all focused on like how to get to the goal And Clara is really focused on what is the process like? What is your relationship with yourself? How do you date with conscious integrity, kind of regardless of what outcome you're getting right now? So that was just music to my ears after reading and being in the space, teaching some of it myself, seeing so much terrible dating coaching. So I loved having this conversation. Every time we get together, we could talk for hours and we could probably have a weekly podcast and never run out of things to talk about. So I hope you enjoy it. Give it a listen. I know you are going to really benefit from this. Whether you're dating, not dating, going to date, it's really all about your relationship with yourself. All right, my chickens, I'm so excited for this conversation. Now, every time I introduce a guest who I have been friends with for six months or six years, I realize that I don't know if I'm saying their name correctly, the way that I always say it in my head. Like I, when I did the podcast with Jessica Dore, who's my friend of my tarot card reader, I thought her name was Jessica Dore for like the last four years that I've been going to her. So Clara. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then say your last name for us. Art Schwager. Art Schwager. Okay. Is that what you want to go by for this or? Yeah, no. Yes. You should go by Clara Art Schwager because you're the second person in 24 hours. You actually might know the other person, Megan Hellerer. But if they Google you, aren't they going to want to be looking for Clara Persis? Isn't that what your dating stuff is under? My website is claraarchwanger.com. Oh, it is. Okay. For someone who worked in brands for a long time. Yeah, I'm a little upset just by this whole conversation. <laughs> I'm confused about what's happening. I know. I'll fix it. Purely for you. I would have fixed it sooner rather than later, but I used to have a private handle for a long time. It was like a secret account, clara.archwanger. And for the life of me, I cannot remember the password for that. And it's been a whole runaround with Instagram. Every time I do it for like 20 minutes and then I'm like, oh, I give up. Yeah. So I, I haven't like completed anyway. In short, that's kind of how some people treat online dating. I feel like we could mm, transition mm. that way. We could very easily oh. transition. Okay. So, Clara sure. Archwager, tell us what do you do? Who are you? Why are you here? Why am I here? I'm a conscious dating and relationship coach. And I primarily work with women who, and this has kind of it's really refined, especially over the pandemic. Like it's really gotten more specific, but women who have a sense of agency pretty much in every other area of their life, but dating and relationships or intimacy specifically. And they've done a pretty solid level of therapeutic or personal development work. And they continue to kind of hit this wall. And they're like, I've worked through so many other things in my life, but with dating and relationships, this thing that I I can't both wrap my mind around it and engage in it in a way where I feel like I'm making tangible progress and that it actually Mm -hmm. feels good. So, you know, I use the example of like, all of these women are highly, I don't think career driven is the right terminology, but they're very driven and successful in their careers. And so that's an area of their life when they experience an obstacle, they have a real solid sense of self when it comes to how they will work through that. Mm -hmm. And they're very used to having that feeling about themselves and the struggles in their life. And dating tends to be the area relationships that they don't feel that way at all. And they're, they're really at a loss in that regard. So I tend to work with them when they've done like a bunch of therapy and they're like, 
what gifts? <laughs> <laughs> that was fun and didn't solve my problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What I love about, so we can tell the people how we fell in love over the internet. And I actually think we're a perfect story because then we had like some confusion, misunderstanding. We worked through it. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, I do know. I was like, oh my God, Cara is so cool. Like, that was not, okay. So I don't know if I, I somehow <laughs> ended up on, that is not what I was thinking about. I somehow ended up on your email and obviously I like see a lot of coaching and now my like Facebook feed is all full of coaches. So I see how people are marketing, dating, coaching, and all of that all the time. And what I really liked about your work was that it was like everything else I was seeing was like, here's how to like get the ring. Here's how to like get the proposal. Here's how to get the man or the woman, but like that's right. Or the whoever. And I felt like yours was the only one that was sort of like, it's not about that, right? Like it's about you and your relationship with yourself and how you approach this process. It was like so much more kind of process oriented than like the result being being in the relationship or getting married or whatever the thing is. And I feel like that's so refreshing and so missing Mm -hmm. from the online dating coaching world, which is just so focused on. And like, of course I'm a coach. I understand there's marketing versus what you do inside, But still, like, you know, sometimes I think we underestimate our audience, right? And their capacity, like we think we have to be like, okay, I'll get you the husband. And then once you're in here, I'll teach you. It's about your relationship with yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, (laughs) I can actually just tell you the truth up front, which is that this is about your relationship with yourself. And I can still get clients that way. And I don't have to like dumb it down or promise the concrete result in order to have people wanting to work with me. You know, I hesitate saying that because then new coaches will have things that are like, discover your inner reclamation Mm. butterfly purpose or whatever. And like, nobody knows Mm. what that means. So you do Mm want to be concrete, but I just really love that about your work. And I don't remember, I think we started messaging on Instagram as all, as all, as as all romances. Yeah. As all romances start sliding into the Instagram DMs. I have never (laughs) met, like I've never dated someone via Instagram DMs. Me either. But, and I've met someone on the subway when that was, so I feel like (laughs) <laughs> like that's like a, I need to get to that at some point in life. But yes, we met via Instagram and I was totally intimidated. I was like, Oh my God, she's so cool and smart. And when we first got on the phone, I was like, I'm ready, Cara, I'm ready for your mastermind. And you were like, what? And I was like, no, like the program, like, aren't I supposed to be? And you were like, I'm not trying to sell you. Something. I don't even have anything to sell you. I'm not a business coach. <laughs> I thought we were having a friend date. And then you were like, it's like, I thought we were having a friend date. And then I think you thought we were having a like pick your, no, apparently you thought we were having a sales chat. I thought you thought we were having a like pick your brain conversation. I was like, oh, I thought she wanted to be friends with me, but we persevered through our miscommunication. And then we went shopping. And then we're actually friends. Yeah. And then we went had lunch and then we went shopping, oh, enabling my, my high level bathing product. Okay. I think- is like really a, a way to my heart. But I actually think it was sort of like, it's such an interesting little microcosm of like, we had different ideas or intentions and then like kind of misunderstood it, but we managed, we managed to work through it anyway. Well, but I feel like that is the thing where I'm sort of, it's like, and I'm sure you have this too in your work where an idea starts to come in and it's just starting to percolate and you're like, Mm -hmm. Ooh, like something's forming here, but I don't really know how to speak about it just yet. But I see this level of exhaustion and burnout in the realm of online dating, which is Mm -hmm. translating to a lot of like defensiveness Mm -hmm. and anger. And I see it on both sides and I get it. I really get it, but I haven't fully figured out how to both talk about that and then how to guide people or at least talk about my own experience and like, okay, here's why we put down the swords. Like I get why you're burnout. I get why you're over this 
platform. And, and I, I do think it's pretty maniacal. I mean, especially in my coaching and in my programs, I'm like, yeah, this is kind of like an online dumpster fire. <laughs> I think one of the things that I have been seeing a lot of myself and working on in the same way is that, so I've been doing all this work with a chronic pain coach. And one of the things that we have been doing a lot of work on is like just spending more time thinking about like, how is my nervous system reacting to something, right? Which is like, makes it a little more embodied than the way that I used to think about it. And so one of the things that's become clear to me is like how often that defensiveness in the context of anything, like I think I used to have it in business a lot and now I like feel pretty secure in business. So I don't worry about it so much, but still shows up in my personal relationships is like when I perceive something as a threat, right? I just have this like nervous system activation. And so there's like biological reasons, evolutionary reasons for that. And then those of us who maybe you know, people's different childhood circumstances can, or just their nervous system wiring can leave them kind of like hypersensitive to threat. But I see that so much, like even in my successful relationships, just noticing how, and I mean the word successful, but you know what I mean? Like relationships that are ongoing and that are healthy and positive for me, but still just seeing how often like that kind of burnout and like that defensiveness comes up when I subconsciously perceive something as a threat to the relationship. And I think it happens to people when they are looking for a relationship and it's like every new person is like, okay, is this going to be the person, right? Sort of like way too early invested in it. And then when they turn out to like, whatever, not be, there's this sort of like spring back, right? It's like that overinvestment and then like the boomerang effect. Yeah. I think it's both, it's like, are you my person or are you really going to hurt me? And if you're really going to hurt me, my wells are up to begin with. And I'll just hurt myself ahead of time right? to to like take care of this. Let me just beat you to the punch, hurt myself, end it with you, right? Or freak out on you. And then I'll just have taken care of that. I get so much like, well, I think he's thinking this. I'm like, unless you had a direct conversation, we have no idea. Right. But yeah, you know, I wish I was the better with like sports metaphors. I'm like, is it offense or defense? (laughs) But whatever. I just feel like people are- It's both though. I think it's both. I think so many women feel like they're on the defense in dating and they don't realize the ways they're on the offense also. Like the thing that's become the most clear to me as I've worked through this stuff is like how insanely early previously I thought I had any idea or should know about how a connection was going to develop or whether a relationship was going to work, right? Like now I'll be six, eight weeks into dating someone and just be like, oh, I'm just starting to get to know this person. (laughs) This is like the beginning of getting to know them and seeing if a relationship is going to work. Whereas it used to be when I was like so desperate to find that partner to validate that, you know, I could do it or there was something, wasn't something wrong with me. It was like, I expected to know on like the second date, right? Or I like, and I thought that I did, but of course it was just all my own stuff. Yeah. You thought that you did. And probably like, I always prioritized control, Mm -hmm. but so it's like the prioritizing, I would convince myself of like this person and why this would all work. And I'd get really creative with them. Like I remember someone years ago, like he was originally from Philly. Like we hadn't even had a conversation about this, but I was like, I could do Philly. And like, (laughs) He didn't even. I, I could move to Philly. Let me just research some apartments. Like, how hard could it be? Oh, he hadn't even implied he wanted to move back there at any point. And I was like, more financially, sort of like, I worked in an industry where that was like a higher. I was like, yeah, I could be the breadwinner here and like, would work for his schedule. And then uh-huh. I, I mean, it was just, I wove this whole thing. 100%. I was totally looking at Harlem Brownstone six months in, being like, yeah. And then he could have his like studio in the basement and that, you know? Like, have I had a conversation about this with this person about living together? No, I have not. So it's interesting, like the person I'm dating now, and we are at the two month mark. 
And I too, right? Like in the past would have been like, oh, like I know everything. And it's like, no, it's really just starting. <laughs> but he sent me a link because we're both very sort of, I live in the Hudson Valley now. And like, we're looking at, you know, properties and investment properties. We're, we just sort of, we're both into that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Thinking like, oh, how can you invest in something and then have it be sort of like a multifunctional property, whatever. So we're constantly sending like- This is love late in your 30s. <laughs> this is love late in your, yeah, you're like, so, you, you know- we're just, send porn links. Now it's- It's Zillow. Multifamily. <laughs> properties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know if anyone's 25, they're going to be like, sorry, but so, you know, yet, you know, he sent something over the weekend that was like, let's buy it. And I was like, ah, sure. And like, I know we're both in this sort of jokey having fun with it zone, but I know that there is a part of me in the past that would have been like, oh, when? I'm like, really? <laughs> That's a commitment, I, right? That's a promise that we are. Yeah. Like, like yeah. Like, are we, so yeah. So are you, is yeah. this, and then this is, yeah, I, I have to do some work about unpacking like because I think that people when you hold those two polarities it's like well just surrender which like that language never helps or like getting to that I mean I guess I'm curious for you like how you got to that place in your relationship with yourself in order to be at two months and be like oh I'm just starting to get to know someone here I mean I think it's all still ongoing but something just came up for me when you were just talking what was it I think it's like, I don't know if this answers your question, but it relates to this topic. It's like when I used to hear advice that was like, I think I used to put a lot of faith in the like instant chemistry with someone, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, that's what I was looking for. And I think a lot of people are looking for that, right? It's like, it should just feel easy right away. It should feel whatever right away. And like, there's various reasons for that. Obviously, there's sort of the romantic comedy element of our society. You know, there's sort of the socialization, but also for those of us when you are in that place where you're desperate to find somebody, of course, you're just like, yeah, I just want to know instantly. And like, maybe if I feel this familiarity or this comfort, that means something, right? You're just always looking for like clues that it's over and you've solved the puzzle, right? And then I think what you hear is the opposite sounds so depressing because when you're in that headspace, when people are like, well, take your, like, you don't always know right away, whatever, what you hear is like, oh, I should go out with people that I don't like, right? Or I should like settle for someone that I'm not into, And it's actually like, I feel like only in the past maybe year or so that I've come to understand, like, no, as always, when you're in a crazy mindset, what you think is the other option isn't really what anybody's saying. It's actually like this third version that's like, it's not about like, okay, settle for people you don't like, right? But it's about like having more patience with the process of getting to know someone and not always selecting for people who like you have no boundaries and like have a right, have an immediate, like, right? Like when you're in that space, somebody else who also wants to tell you all of their, you know, where you have that like instant whatever. And I'm not saying that that doesn't sure you totally meet people who've been married for 60 years and knew the first day. But it's like, I think the thing that's the most astounding, it's almost like dating sobriety. And like the most astounding thing to me about dating sobriety is the difference between how much I used to assume that I like knew someone and understood our relationship Mm. and understood how the whole thing was going to work and like all of that versus now where I'm like, I barely know this person. I've only known them for six weeks or two months, which is true, right? (laughs) Like you don't really know a person yet. Well, it's interesting because when we started and you were talking about how you came across my work and what you've seen and sort of the more, I don't know what the standard version of dating, I feel like the non-dating dating coach, like, you know, and just in terms of- Yeah. It's like get married this year or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm like, I can't help you do that. <laughs> and also but, like, do you, I mean, sure that happens for some people. That's great, but it's a weird goal to set for yourself to me. It No, it is. And I, you know, 
I don't really know if you can really mark, I don't know, market thing. I mean, sell anything, but I don't know. I would wonder about the, like the nature of that relationship that someone ends up in, if that's the case. But for me, when I started out, it actually never like both for myself with what inspired this work. And then the, the way I work with women, it was never first and foremost about the relationship. It was like, I am struggling with dating and dating is so taxing to yeah. me. And it's so anxiety inducing and stressful. And I feel like at the mercy of dating apps and this just modern dating environment. And so starting with my own experience, I was like, this is miserable. Like I often tell the story of like when I bought my house and I was about to go through renovations and I was interviewing different contractors, I asked all of these like family friends and people like adults, people in their sixties who'd been through like numerous renovations. And they were all like, oh, well, you're going to hate your contractor. You're going to spend way more money than you want. And you're going to be miserable by the end of it. And I was like, well, I'm not saying you're wrong, but that sounds like a really awful way to go about spending several hundred thousand dollars. And that's kind of how I felt about dating where I was like, I'm not saying that, you know, the apps aren't miserable and just put like slap a happy sticker on. I'm like, this was the thing. I was like, we've never had more quote unquote resources at our fingertips. People have never been so miserable. So the problem was the initial effort wasn't specifically about relationship and getting into relationship. I mean, obviously I wanted to meet someone, but it was about how do we mitigate all of this stress and anxiety? Well, don't you think that anxiety, it comes from it being too big a part of your life either way, right? It's like, if it's going well, then you're ecstatic and everything's amazing. And if it's going poorly, then you're devastated and you're totally anxious, right? And to me, it's been a lot of like, this is a disproportionate part of my brain, like amount of brain space to be spending on this. Like this is having a disproportionate impact on how I feel like to me, that was the kind of like, not saying this can't be an important part of your life, but I mean, I use the sobriety metaphor for a lot of things because when you're used to this intoxication of like up and down, up and down all the time, which people do in any area, right? It could be like work or they're eating an exercise or they're whatever, right? But they're just used to the sort of like, it's going amazing or it's terrible, like that kind of thing. Dating in a way where you're like, this is a person I like who I spend time with. Mm. And that's all that's happening, right? It's not a disaster that's ruining my life, nor is it a transcendent ticket out of the human experience to everlasting bliss, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> It's not. It's I know. Isn't that shocking? But it's true. No, say it like so, Cara. <laughs> I mean, I just think about it's so interesting. Like I think about my last long-term my relationship I was in, where I had the most positive thoughts about it as I've had of any relationship in person, and I was constantly anxious and miserable. Mm. Right, because obviously I also had a lot of negative thoughts about it. But like, it was sort of like that was such a powerful example to me of like finding the kind of partner that was like exactly what I thought I wanted, not in terms of like, well, they should be this tall and have this job and look at whatever. Right. But just sort of like, like an equal in all of these ways, like that was what I thought I wanted. And that disconnect made me be like, okay, like there's more work to be done here. It's like, I had done the work to believe that I could have the kind of partner I wanted, but I had like not done whatever work still needed to be done on how important is this in my life and why? Like there's something Mm. weird going on if my reaction to getting what I want is constant unmitigated anxiety. Well, I can't help, like now you've got anxiety in there and I'm like, oh, should we talk about attachment theory? Because you so Mm -hmm. excitedly sent, I haven't dipped into the book just yet. Oh yeah, this book, Polysecure, that I'm making everyone I know read. (laughs) Well, I love it when you were like, I can only read 10 pages at a time because I'm just, I'm just, my mind's exploding. Yeah, well, the first, like, yes. Now that I'm on the trauma part, I can read it the, yeah, anyway, let, you say what you're going to say and then I'm going to Well, no, I was curious because, you, you know, you're, you were feeling anxious 
And uh, we have talked before about there's so much pathologizing when it comes mm-hmm. to attachment styles in general being one of the main ones of them. And then, and I don't know if you personally identify with an anxious attachment style or an insecure attachment style and like how in the context of that relationship that cropped up. Oh, I think the, the anxiety in that pat in that relationship we were just talking about was not, some of it may have been like attachment stuff, but it was also, I was actually very attached to, to the like story of the relationship it was this sort of like, oh, it, and attached to it as proof that I had like finally solved this problem, like found the relationship that I wanted. And so when you're attached to like the story, right, or you think that like solving the problem means you get a certain outcome in the world as opposed to in you, then you become just super attached to it, right? And then like any, and then I think there was other stuff going on. I mean, there's, we could have a whole other podcast about like, <laughs> when is it anxiety? When is it intuition? Like there were things going on in that relationship on his end that, I think I was subconsciously aware of that, but the anxiety came from, I was unwilling to like confront them or call them out because I was so attached to the story about the relationship and to like what I was making it mean. So even though there was like this like distance or disconnect that if I had not been attached to the story, I probably would have called out of. So I think the anxiety in that relationship was partly some attachment stuff, but a lot of it was created by that. It was like, you know, noticing something was off, not being willing to talk about it because Mm. I was so attached to it. But in terms of this book, so the thing that I loved about this book, and I've talked about attachment theory on the podcast before. And like, one of the things I often talk about is the idea that like attachment theory, if it doesn't take into account socialization and gender socialization is kind of missing part of it, right? Because I think women who have had perfectly secure childhoods may still have what seems like an anxious attachment style if they have really internalized all this socialization about worth and value attaching to a relationship. So I just think it's partial. It's not the whole story. But what I really like, I thought her description of, we're not going to go over the, all the whole things. People can go listen to the episode on attachment theory, but there's like, right, anxious preoccupied attachment, which is when you're you're very anxious about your emotional attachments. And when you feel them threatened, you kind of respond with increasing bids for attention or reconnection, avoid an attachment where you are ambivalent about intimacy and you respond to intimacy with like desire for distance and avoidance, then secure attachment, which is, you know, the angels hurrah and you are forever. Like that's the, I feel like that's part of the problem with the attachment books is they make it sound like, well, if you secure attachment, like you're just happy ever after as opposed to you're still a human. The other thing I get too is people like, and this was maybe something we could talk about is this like scarcity mindset around. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of, and because I work with heterosexual women, it tends to be more so around men, but this feeling that like all the secure men are like, you know, there's limited numbers (laughs) and you you don't act now. Which has nothing to do with attachment. They would think that about just like, there's not enough men or there's not enough Jewish men or enough tall men, right? Whatever the thing is. Right, right. Yeah, well, that's what I hate about that main book everybody loves, Attached, is that they're like, so guess you better find a securely attached person if you ever yeah. want to change this. I'm like, fuck you. Like, yeah. no. I used to recommend the book, I still do, the Becker Phelps book, Insecure in Love, because she takes a like mindfulness approach to it and talks about your relationship with yourself. So this book, Poly Secure, is this book by, her last name is Fern. I want to say her first name is Jessica. She's a therapist. And she's talking about, it's sort of a nested model of attachment theory and trauma in, suppose, in polyamorous relationships, but I think anybody benefits from reading it. Mm. And I have complicated feelings about like the trauma aspect, which we don't really have to go into in this podcast, but she has the best job I've ever seen of describing disorganized attachment, which is when you have like some features of anxious and some features of avoidant. 
And now I'm like even more of a mix because I've done so much work and developed a lot of secure attachments. And now there's like elements of all of them, but I always identified with the like preoccupation and anxiety, but I was never somebody who would respond to that by like increasing attempts to get close to somebody. Like my response has always been the thing I have to guard against is this defensiveness that's like shut down. It's like when that anxiety gets activated, then I'm like, fuck it, fine. I don't need you. Like I'll I can interact. I'm like, how can I get smaller? Yeah. And, but it's all internal. Like the other person may have no idea it's happening. Right. I'll go through a whole cycle where I'm like, in my mind, I gave you the silent treatment. And then I come and then I decided (laughs) I was talking to you again. And like, meanwhile, you didn't notice at all because it was all in my head. Yeah. If she gives, she actually talks about that kind of example. And so I thought the reason I'm so obsessed with her book is I thought she just did the best job I've seen of describing and understanding a disorganized attachment style. And like, where that can come from, which Mm. I felt very like, oh, this is what I'm like. Like the anxious attachment never quite made sense to me because yes, anxiety, but I don't respond in this way at all. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't read the book yet, but I relate to that. I'm like, oh, that sounds like me too. Um, Yeah. I think there's a lot of us who are like, especially if you are, I mean, there's so much socialization for women around like not coming on too strong and not being too intense and whatever. So some of the examples they'll give in anxious attachments books will be like, and when you feel anxious, you call your partner 75 times. That's not just an attachment issue. Like that, if that's what you're doing, we need a deeper mental health, like intervention. Like this is not, you know, like there's a lot in between here and there. Yeah. 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 But then it makes the women who don't do that. So fearful of being too much coming on too strong. And it's like, no, you're actually like making, you're appearing disinterested. So it's like- Yeah, totally. Or just there's nothing. I mean, I just, now when I look back, I'm like, this is hilarious. I was like acting out whole operas of like being, you know, like being, feeling rejected and then psychically punishing them, like doing all, you know, which is like in my mind, really all that happened was I like took 10 minutes longer than usual to respond to a text message and like- Right. (laughs) That any of it was happening until I calmed myself down. But Um, I do think like- Pairing that with this like understanding of seeing things as threats has really just helped me deal with that sort of surge of physical energy that you get when you are, you know, when something like quote unquote triggers you, not in the PTSD sense, but like whatever, right? Somebody like says something that you take a certain way or somebody breaks up with you or whatever it is, like being able to pair those has just given me a lot more space, especially in relationships where nobody's breaking up. It's just a whatever, right? Like I can't get together that week or like, can we do this instead? Or like, no, I don't have whatever, right? Anything I perceive as a like rejection, having that like awareness of like, okay, I see this as a threat to the relationship, but of course it isn't. Like my reaction may be a threat to the relationship, but this isn't. Seeing in that paradigm of like, what am I seeing as a threat has really helped me get like that next level of awareness about those reactions. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're talking about is so profound. And I think a lot of times people think, oh, I have to be like impervious to rejection or just be that confident or love myself that much that these Mm -hmm. things won't hurt me. And that's the issue, but you're not a big ask. Yeah. Well, that doesn't sound very human being. Yeah. Right. No. and, And I think it's really just, and this is another thing that I try to do, which is why I write about my own experience of like sitting shoulder to shoulder with people where it's like, I've really just gotten better at managing like Mm -hmm. those reactions within myself and understanding, is it about something that's happening in the present moment or is it about something independent of me? And then kind of like with this, what you were talking about earlier in the past relationship where you were like, there were certain things that I just wasn't willing to bring up to preserve the story, Mm -hmm. so to speak. 
And I feel like in this current situation with the person that I'm dating and getting to know what I'm really working on is like each instance, if something comes up and I, it feels off for me to have a conversation right then and see how we evolve from there Mm -hmm. and use that as the marker. But I think that people have this idea that in order to date, I think this is also too why people are like, well, you know, I'll date in the fall or I'll date in this season or I'll date when I get to this is because they feel like they have to be all like armored up um, in order to tolerate when really, I think it's just, it's working to manage your nervous system. Like you are in a way where you're able to not only feel into those things that hurt you, but have a system for making sure they don't completely knock you down, but, but sometimes they very much will. Right. Um, I think also like you have, there's for a lot of people, including myself in the beginning, like there's a bunch of work that has to happen before I really trust myself to like have a conversation every time something comes up. Right. Because when you're like over-interpreting for danger, Mm. then everything is like, right. Like let's get together at eight instead of seven turns into a whole thing about like how much time you're spending together. They don't want to see you as earlier that, right. Like there's, there's such a level of like nuttiness that can go on when you're such a good phrase over interpreting for danger. I'm sorry. I'm like stuck on that language. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I'm like seeing so much, but it's so interesting. Cause like when I was fully in that, I couldn't even see it at all. Right. It's only now like having calmed down half or two thirds of the way that I'm like, I have that perspective to be like, Oh yeah. I'm just like constantly over interpreting for danger. And I think this also, it goes back to something that book high secure talks about with disorganized attachment, which is like, because this is something I really identified with is the sort of like asking for something, feeling very risky. And then if it doesn't get met, like having this complete shutdown, mm. right, which can like have to do with whatever, various factors of, you know, our past. And I think like for me, one of the things I worked on, even before this, like last, the last couple of years, I I noticed, but even before I had this framework, I just noticed that like, if disappointment happened, if I felt disappointed, I made that mean so much. Right. And so I just like did a lot of work. I'm just being like, it's okay to just be disappointed, like mm. without making it mean X, Y, Z about the relationship and the person and the whatever. Right. Because like the way my brain was working, if I felt disappointed, that meant like something terrible had happened and like something was wrong with the relationship or something was wrong with the person or all of that. And just being able to be like, it's okay. Sometimes I'm going to feel disappointed. It doesn't mean anything mm. was huge in and of itself. God, it's, I just had a conversation about that, not in the context of dating, but yesterday with a friend, but I I think it's the same thing where like, I have felt pretty depleted and burnt out over the last few weeks. And I have been on kind of this runaround of like, you know, I I need to get, I need to get on a vacation now and I need to replenish and I I need to kind of get that adrenal supplement. And then I need to, you know, and am I sleeping enough and maybe I drink more water and like, Oh, I hate a (laughs) hot dog yesterday. So that probably was bad. Uh, That hot dog, you know, if you eat a hot dog, that's it. It's over. Yeah. I, yeah. And she was just like, what if you were just depleted and that you just were right now? Like, what if you were just kind of low right now? And I was like, Oh, Oh yeah. Like, (laughs) (laughs) It was like once I stopped trying to fix it or make it mean something or giving all the meaning that I, and and that I needed to fix it or remedy it right right away. It was like a huge pressure was lifted, but I'm constantly relearning. We all are. That's like basically like, Oh, are you resisting your current situation? Then you're (laughs) suffering. That's just like the Buddhists all over. Right. Every day. Where am I suffering? Oh, I'm resisting. I do want to talk about red flags. Yes. Let's do it. And then I want to talk about texting anxiety. My thing with red flags was always 
my red flags are going to be different than your red flags. I mean, sure. Short of someone being an ax murderer. Like, I don't think that you'd be like, Oh no, I'm down Claire. You might not be into them, but like, I'm, you know, so my thing was because people always like, what are, what red flags should I be looking for? What red flags? which to me is the whole, it's a grasping for control. And I think this is what most dating, you know, rhetoric or advice pushes is that, that there is some formula or way to control the system or circumvent pain and rejection And so to me, people are looking for like the 10 red flags and it's like, oh, saw one, not going to work. But to me, they're so subjective. Well, and I think one of the things we talked about when we had that lunch at that, we were like sitting outside in the freezing cold outside that Greek place in Kingston, was that I think the whole thing with the red flags is that, I mean, it was like what I always teach about anything, right? Is what we're really worried about is how we're going to think and feel in the future, right? And so like the whole red flag thing, it's not, what we're worried about is that when the relationship ends, we will say to ourselves, I should have seen it coming. Yep. Right. I wasted my time. Like I should have known. Right. And I see that like, that is something that I've noticed a huge shift in, in myself in the last couple of years also is that like much more willingness to just see what unfolds rather than constantly scanning. Like it used to be that if I ever got an inkling that like, my anecdotal observation has been that people who are like way too effusive before you meet usually end up being flakes. Uh, Like uh, I can't prove this, but people who are just like already wanting to talk about like the kind of relationship you're going to have probably because they're like, you know, they're, they're on their own podcast talking about this problem. But so in the past, like I would, if I saw that coming up, I would have this sort of like constant internal battle of like, well, should I just like cut this off because I know this is going to happen, right? Or should I let, and it was always this sort of like agitation because at the end of it, if it turned out that I had been right, then I was going to criticize myself, right? I was going to like think that I, I already knew I should have known, right? I did know, like I should have done it first or whatever. And when I let that go, like so much more freedom to just like let people show up and see what happens. And sometimes you're right. And sometimes you're not right. Like yeah. the person that I just started seeing, like, I totally thought that I have had, I had moments at the beginning, so our communication styles are very different where I, well, I don't know when this podcast is coming out. So who knows what's going to be happening in, in a few <laughs> months. You and I are both talking about whoever we're dating now, but where like in the past, I would totally have assumed that they weren't interested or it was over. And it was like, no, they just actually had a different like pace than I did. Yeah. But I think that red flag obsession is just you look to the future and you're going to think I wasted my time. I should have known I missed something like that was a big one for me was especially if you're like somebody who's in the process of like working on this stuff, you can't see me, but I'm making air quotes people like when you're like working on it. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously you and I are both coaches, so we love to work on things, but when when we're in that framework of like, I'm working on it. And then we need to see like progress to convince ourselves that like Mm -hmm. we can make progress and that we're not just broken and unlovable or whatever we think. I think like the problem with that is that it makes the outcome of any given dating interaction or relationship like have way too much weight Mm -hmm. because then it's like proof. So like for me, the breakup that I went through last year, it a hundred percent was like, okay, I must've missed something. Like if this didn't turn into like the, you know, my life partner, then something went wrong. I missed something. I should have known it ahead of time as opposed to like, we're not fucking wizards, you know, like like, nobody could have known. It's not right. It's like not preordained. It's life. You meet somebody, you get to know them. Things are happening in your life. Things are happening in their life. Things are happening in their relationship. And sometimes it goes on and sometimes it ends. But like, 
the red flag, it is that control thing. I think it's like, it's not just control and wanting to know what to do. It's a totally wrong belief that like the outcome is certain in a given way, right? Like as though it could have been predicted. Yeah. And that your performance in that is then indicative of like your self-worth or value. But I I did this over the summer where I dated someone for two and a half months. And at the end of it, I sat before my coach and was like, oh, you know, I should, I should have known. I should have. And she was like, it's been 10 weeks. Like you didn't exactly sit around for five years with this guy. (laughs) Like, and, and when you knew you had a conversation and that I was like, I know, but you know, and yeah, it it is. I think that's about the time we had the same conversation about red flags. Like it is that kind of like, yeah, I should have known as if it was always, I mean, it's like, it's that magical thinking. There's the right person and then everybody else is the wrong person. And so you're trying to like suss out, is this the right person who's going to be like, as though it's all, yeah, like as though you could look in a, as as if someone could look in a crystal ball and tell you like this relationship already is or is not the right one. Right. But then that also perpetuates the thinking of there is some way to control this, like that there is some larger system. Cause it's one thing to say, like, we don't have control. There is no certainty, but another thing to be, because I often think so much about this like ecosystem that, I mean, this is true of anything, whether it relates to like food and dieting or exercise or money or like all the things, right? We're constantly being fed information about how we should go about things, how Mm -hmm. we should do things, what is the right way. And even if you're seeing this and hearing this and thinking, okay, right, I see the way that red flags would cause me to operate in that way it's also still really super tempting. It's like the tantalizing piece of like cake sitting out where it's mm-hmm. like, just because it's there, you'll be more attracted to it. But yeah. Wait, tell me what you mean. Just because the red flags are there, you mean? I think that people are just, they can consciously on a conscious level be like, right, right, right. I don't want to play games. I know mm-hmm. that, you know, you can't know things right away. Right. But they'll still be scanning the environment for danger. And then two months in or a month in, we'll be like, oh, see, should have seen it. Yeah, that's exactly. So I think it's like what we have to shift from is this idea. It's like we think it's that fixed mindset of like somebody's the right person or the wrong person. The relationship is going to succeed or fail, right? And like it's this weird essentialist like the person before me is either like good or bad and – that's just like a truth intrinsic to them. And I should have like spotted the things about them as opposed right. to like, you have no idea what's going to ha- like it. The relationship is co-created by both of you and by everything else that's happening in the world at the time. And no one with any crystal ball could say what's going to happen or not. The only problem is that when a relationship ends, and I just like to take it to the absurdity and be like, you're going to marry someone for 15 years, like have two kids, have a wonderful relationship decide to go your separate ways at year 16. Cause like it's run its course and then be like, well, you know, on the second date, he said that thing. And like, I right. Known. <laughs> I, yeah. right? Like- right. But you'll hear women, like I've heard women talk about 30 year marriages that have ended and they will actually kind of say something along those lines. But the other thing too, that came up for me when you were describing all that is like, when we approach it in that way, we're actually not really getting to know the person. We're not right. None of this in this, all of this way of dating, like you know nothing about them because you're right. not even like getting to know them. Right. You're not really present to what's happening, like uh, taking them in as a human being. It's more about, do they fit into this like story or narrative that I've constructed or the thing that I'm trying to create? And you're totally objectifying them, right? Which is so ironic because 
like women will complain and rightly so about feeling sexually objectified, but not understand that they're like romance objectifying, <laughs> right? Yeah. In return, where like, it's really not about that person and getting to know them, right? It's about being like, okay, so in 10 years when we move to Philly, then I'll buy the house, right? And it's like, you don't even, you're like, yeah. you don't, you haven't even experienced the person as they are or gotten to know them because you're so single-minded about like, is this the right candidate? Can I put them in the slot? Yeah. And I even think about how you and I met and how we had this sort of like miscommunication around mm-hmm. like getting to know another, like imagine if that were a dating context, right. And two people come together and one person thinks it's a date and the other person doesn't. And then the person that thought it was a date is now hurt. And some and they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, well, I'm never. And, but like, I, I just think so, <laughs> so much gets misconstrued and yeah. not talked about. And then because of that, you know, beating heartbreak to the punch, that kind of like preemptive, well, let me try and control the situation. We end up, we're like, okay, no, like walls up. And we end up like cutting people off. Yeah. Cause we cut ourselves off. Right. Because like, we don't have that relationship with ourselves. We think there's something wrong with us or that we're not going to be happy enough with ourselves. And so then we're constantly doing that. But that language also, I think people take what I just said and they're like, well, I don't, I, so I should just settle, right? Like if they're nice. And then I'm like, no, no, <laughs> that's right. not what I'm saying either. <laughs> totally. But that's what I used to hear too, right? I'm sure you did too when you like didn't really understand it, right? It's sort of like, it's like, it's more like the right answer, not the right answer, but like, it's more like what we're saying is, I don't know if this metaphor will make sense. But like often when I'm coaching somebody and they really don't want to feel their negative emotions, mm. they don't understand that they've never felt a negative emotion by itself. All they felt is a negative emotion plus a huge amount of resistance to the negative emotion, which makes it feel 10 times worse. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when somebody who's completely in this, like whatever mentality we want to call it, like, I don't know, like desperate dating mentality, like nothing to feel desperate, but just, you know, like stressful, whatever. So much just anxiety, angst, agitation. It's right. When they're in that mindset and it's like, everything's so heightened, right? So it's like the chemistry of a good date is super heightened. Now you're like so excited, but then the bat, right. When everything is so heightened like that, yeah, it's like what they hear is that we're saying like, go out with the person that you felt nothing about. And what we're actually saying is like your receptor isn't even working yet to accurately like experience what's happening in front of you. Yeah. And the receptor is, I often talk about like a lens, like you have on a certain pair of glasses Mm -hmm. and the way you're perceiving a situation. It's like, it's informed by something that has nothing to do with the person sitting across from you or chatting with you in the app or on FaceTime or whatever it may be. Yeah. It's like your whole judgment and experience of it is being influenced by all of this. And so it's more like, it's like, it's analogy for me would be when I'm like, you don't even know what it feels like to feel sad. It doesn't feel anything like you think it feels like, (laughs) because what you felt is enormous resistance to the sad. So we don't even know what it would be like underneath, right? Or we don't even know what it would be like. Like, let's say it's like you're interacting with somebody that you have a lot of negative thoughts about. We actually don't know what it would be like for you to interact with them without all those thoughts. Maybe you would love them. Maybe not. I don't know. We don't know, right? Because there's so much interference. And that's what I think we're saying. It's not subtle. It's not like, it's like they think we're saying, and I used to think people were telling me that date you went on that you felt mad about, you should just date them forever and feel mad. Yeah. And really what, what I think we're trying to say is like, you actually don't know how you would experience that person or anyone else from a different headspace. Right. And when you reach that headspace, you're going to find that these interactions feel different. You are, some met people are still going to be met. 
some Met people may seem actually intriguing now that you're not expecting to fall in love and plan the house in Philly on the first date. (laughs) Some people that you thought were really great, you're going to now be like, whoa, that person's too much. It's like your whole engagement system has to be recalibrated. (laughs) And so I like often when I'm coaching about something analogous, I'm like, let's just try it. (laughs) It's like, let's worry about that when we get there. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just try taking down the resistance or like, let's just try doing it without the self-criticism and let's just like see what it's like. And then we can decide. I feel like within that texting and we, we mentioned like texting anxiety is like a, if there were like pillars or like elements of that larger (laughs) thing that was happening, like texting would be one of them because the weight that we give and the time I spend on my end with like well, he said this, or I, someone sends me a screenshot and they're like, I think it means X, Y, Z. And I'm like, I get why you think that, but we actually have no idea. Mm-hmm. And God, the runaround and We would energy. all be better off if text messaging was removed from the earth. <laughs> Just I think so. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of, I don't know if you know this, but this was how I got into this was I, I mean, I, I trained to become a coach, but I never intentionally, although I think I, I actually think this was all meant to be but I just had a lot of talk about resistance to being mm-hmm. a dating and relationships coach. But I wrote this article for The Cut years ago that was called, well, they labeled it dating without texting as the absolute best, which was just mm-hmm. a clickbait SEO thing. But it was essentially a story about someone I was seeing and how we decided in the early stages of dating and our relationship to not text, that we would make a plan and that if there was an issue in the image, I could call him, mm-hmm. but, and he could call me vice versa. And it's not like people, you know, there was all this like commentary, like that podcast you up or it's the betches, whatever, like business, blah, blah, blah. I don't they, know what any of this is, but it's like betches is that oh, whatever. I don't, I, I really sound like an old woman when I talk about this, but they were like, oh, that guy is seeing another woman. Like he's cheating on her. That's why he's not texting oh her. Oh my like, God. No, I promise. But, but then it went viral. And I really think it's because there was so much anxiety and so much tension around this act. Of- that is so, wait, I can't, hold on. We have to go back. Sure. But, like this is just an indication of how crazy we all are about text messaging. The idea that if somebody isn't constantly texting you, yeah, that means they're cheating on you is like yeah. just- so crazy as if everyone has to be what this is like a perfect example. I remember very distinctly the moment that I realized this and it blew my mind. If you are not thinking there's something wrong with you because of your dating life, constantly trying to find the relationship that's going to make you feel good about yourself and totally stressed out about whether you'll ever find a partner, you're not as obsessed with your text messages, Mm -hmm. right? Like I would, I dated a few people in a row who just didn't text that much. And I was like, and I was in that, I didn't think about they were cheating. I mean, I'm not completely insane, but like and also usually not monogamous, so it's not cheating. But like I was in that sort of like making it mean something. And the moment that I realized that like the amount that I think about texting before I had done this work is not a good barometer for how much a like stable person in a good place about dating <laughs> thinks about texting, right? Yeah. It's like we're taking our own insane anxiety and then being like, if somebody else isn't as attentive to this medium, that means they don't care. Maybe it means right. they don't have crazy text anxiety because they have a different set of thoughts about dating. Yeah, that they don't care or that they're seeing someone else or that they're not interested. Right. Or, they're or maybe it just means change. they were socialized as a man and so they don't have all of their self-worth tied up in who they're dating and how often they're communicating with them. I mean, totally, yes. But like, <laughs> yes, that. But the crazy thing was that after I wrote this article, I got emails and messages from people. being They were like, okay, so like, do you just like not text men at all? 
I'm like, no, no, don't try to find a rule here. Don't, don't find a or a rule. It was just a one-off conversation because we were having a conversation about our communication preferences, but it was like wild. I was on the news. I was on the local news the, in, in New York. And the, oh my God, it's so embarrassing. It was like Clara Archwanger, who one day hopes to get married, doesn't text with her boyfriend. How did we not start with this, Pavel? You might have to oh add this at the beginning of the episode. I'll this send you the clip much. of it. I'll, I have it. The tell oh my, my friend. I this mean, is how I'm going to introduce oh. you from now on. We should redo the intro of this podcast as I'm here today with Clara Archwanger, who one day <laughs> hopes to get married. <laughs> Oh my God. I mean, it is like pee your pants funny. It's so embarrassing. Um, But we are, no, really that warranted, they were like, oh, not texting my word. But I don't know. I do think it's, there is so much anxiety control stuff. Like I had a partner where we didn't, we didn't text when he was traveling because he traveled to teach a lot and like he would get very absorbed. And when he taught, it was like all day workshops and dinner with the participants, whatever. It was like very involved and he would do that. And then I would get stressed out about the texting, but it totally was like a control thing, right? It was sort of, it was like this sort of need, this inability to feel secure with myself. And so this need for constant, not just constant validation, but I think for those of us who have nervous systems that you know, developed to overinterpret for danger. We're like always looking for patterns for safety that we can then monitor to see if there's any disruption. Yeah. And that's what texting becomes for a lot of us if we haven't done the work, right? Is like, this is the thing, this is the barometer I'm going to use to be constantly monitoring for any threat, any danger to the relationship. It's so true. And I will have, when I go through this with clients, I will have them track you know, like one text will come in and they're like, Oh my God, my anxiety spiked. And I'm like, okay, watch for when it goes back down. And it'll be like a text later. And it's like, Oh, I'm back. And I'm home. Like I've reached homeostasis or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm like, so you see that it's, it's just based on, on that when actually the person on the other end of it, like their feelings, what they were feeling with this whole scenario didn't change at all. It's completely right. independent of that. But, but I also want people to have compassion about it because I wrote something about how I like, still, you know, the other week it was something off with the guy I'm seeing and I just was able to go to bed. Mm. I was like, I have a feeling about this. I was like, Oh, I'm just, and in the past, Oh my God, I would have chest pains. It would have kept me up. And so Mm -hmm. I feel for us all. Totally. And I mean, we're not here to be like, there's something wrong with any of us, right? Like this is the point is that coaching can help with this, but for people who are listening to understand, like it's neither that there's something wrong with you and you're crazy, but nor is it that the dudes are always the problem, right? It's that, yeah. and sometimes they are, and sometimes you're the problem. Right? And sometimes right. you're both the problem. And sometimes there's no problem. You just weren't really meant to date for longer than three months or whatever happened, right? Like, yeah. I mean, we could have a whole other podcast about like this, the kind of bizarre, probably wedding industry fomented obsession with like relationships getting to the certain point, right? Where like, I feel like I've had more growth in some of my two month relationships than I had in my five-year relationships, right? Like, yeah. and I've done more growth in some of those. And I think some people have done in 30 year marriages, <laughs> like what's the whole point of the endeavor in the first place, but that we'll have to come back for another podcast on that. Yeah. Is there anything you think, so we're already at an hour, so I want to respect your time. Is there anything you feel like just people need to know other than what we've shared before you tell us where we can find you? No, I mean, I actually kind of, it, well, if we don't have time, I mean, maybe it's a bigger subject, but I was like, maybe we can touch on, because you had said, you were like, I want to hit on relationship anxiety. And I mm-hmm. didn't know if you correlated that with like the timeline pressure around kids or if that was mm-hmm. something different. Oh, yeah, that is a whole other. 
Let's Might be, do that. I think you should come back and we should talk about like, what's the point of a relationship anyway? I'm glad you're saying that. Cause that's kind of where I'm like, listen, I'm all, I mean, I, I'm, I'm on, like, I believe in relationships. I believe we are, you know, we're wired for connection. And like, I ultimately want to help people construct a way that is racked with the least amount of worry and anxiety when it comes to pursuing that on their own terms. But I am at this point where I'm just sort of like this, like larger obsession that we have. Mm-hmm. And within my own life, the most bliss and enjoyment I found in relationship is when I'm actually quite detached from the other person. And, and it's not some sort of just like confidence, like, oh, I'm just mm-hmm. so much better than I'm. It's just like their behavior doesn't have such an impact on right. how I view my life. Yeah, it's just right. Exactly. That goes back to the sort of like, this is a person that I like and spend time with and have an intimate relationship with, just like I do with my close friends or my family. Right. But it is not the driving determiner of every minute. All right. We'll have to do another episode yes. about that. That's where we're going. That's the goal. We've diagnosed the problem in this episode. <laughs> then we'll. <laughs> so, where can people find you? Well, yeah. now that we've had the whole name discussion, but ClaraArchwager.com and my C L A R A and the last name A R T S C H W A G E R. You see what I mean? It's so. Long. Listen, I have Lowenthal, so I've been spelling my name on podcasts for quite a while. Okay, so you've got it. <laughs> and that, I mean, I'm like all the like regular internet human beings, and I actually have a pretty solid newsletter. I do a lot of writing, so like I write a lot of narrative nonfiction. That's specifically, it's like writing my embarrassing things about myself on the internet, much to my mother's. You know, <laughs> she's like, really? that's Chagrin. what I say about a podcast is your parents, actually, they can Google it because we have the transcripts. <laughs> yes. So go to Clara, Clara, See, Clara, I you Clara. I've totally had this wrong. Some people call me Clara. Well, yeah, but that's not your name. I'm going to call you by your correct name. Clara, New Yorkers. I like it. I like some people that, anyway, long story short, find that you can find everything there and there's, you know, there's freebies, there's stuff on Instagram. You know, it's like the usual. You know the drill. She's, you know a, the co- drill. she's a coach. Go I have, her you list. know, one-on-one programs. I have group rooms. I have the stuff. So She's got the stuff. Go get on her list. Read her so, brilliant writing. Thank you. All right. Thanks for coming. Of course. It was I'm going to see life. you like in three days. Oh, yay. All right. Bye, my dear. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.